Well, amen. Let's, um, let's see here what we got. Um, I got to dig out my notes now. Take your Bible, look over the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We got a little experiment going on here tonight. You don't know about it, but we have one going on. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know it probably. Maybe you haven't noticed. Some of you may have noticed already, but we changed the direction of all the speakers in here. So we're testing things here to see how it sounds, you know, whether it fits good in the corners better and the middle's a little bit weak probably compared to what it was, but the, we're hoping to fill those corners a little bit. We don't know whether or not we need to put another set of speakers in the middle coming down here and we may do that and we're just doing a little bit of testing tonight. So uh, that's why I'm trying to talk a little bit more up here. I want to get a feel for it. And uh, so if I say something that makes no sense, it's just because I'm trying to listen, right? Okay, so now that we got that straight. Okay, good, good. That excuses all my uh, crazy mistakes tonight. Mark chapter 1. You see, oh, I forgot my uh, clicker here. All right, we've started this uh, series, and uh, we talked about you become who you follow. And again, uh, I, I don't know why, but nobody ever laughs at this. I bet you'd laugh at this in the Philippines. Be careful who you follow, it's a big deal. But anyway, they'd probably laugh in the Philippines. But here in America, they don't seem to think that's so funny anymore. But anyway, so you got to be careful. Uh, we talked about the fact that, and we, we ran into some of our, 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 uh, our passages, and we looked at Mark chapter 1, and that's kind of where we're at right now. And uh, I guess just by way of introduction, we'll skip just reading it, and we'll look at it here on the, on the, the uh, screens, but... Matthew 4, 19 says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Luke 5, 10, he goes on to say, From henceforth thou shalt catch men. And then we have our passage in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Become fishers of men. And again, we talked about that, and we noted that uh, the first two passages seem to emphasize the fact, the fact that they're going to catch men and uh, ultimately be fishers of men, while this passage in Mark instead emphasizes the fact, it, it, it emphasizes a process. They're becoming fishers of men. And so uh, we, we kind of looked at that, we considered it, and we said that word become means to pass from one state to another, to enter into some state or condition. And we said what Christ was really trying to say then is if you follow me, I'm going to make you to pass from one state to another, from being fishers of fish to fishers of men. Now, that's going to be a process. And that process is accomplished as we're exposed to a fresh outlook, uh, different qualities, a new character. And so we took the time to consider that and we said, well, the fact is then whatever you follow is what you will ultimately become. Jesus said, you follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. So the fact is, whatever you follow is what you ultimately become. See the breaking news there, right? Okay, so we talked about role models. What has shaped our lives and person up to the time we have gotten saved? And so we spent some time dealing with role models the last couple of weeks. And we started off with our behavior tree. Now, I can honestly tell you that as I consider the behavior tree, this thing, I, again, I put this together probably 20 years ago, and I've used it a number of times through the years. I'll tell you, if, if people would get a hold of this thing right here, it would change their life. 
if couples would get a hold of this, it'd change their life. Probably more than anything else I need to use in counseling, it's this right here. Let me tell you why. Because once again, as you look at the uh, behavior tree, and it's hard to see from where you're at, but as we look at the behavior tree, we're going to notice that there's a couple of things that uh, are, are inherent in it. First of all, you have, we said, you know, if your attitude, your opinion, and feelings uh, are going to be the result of some things, the environment, uh, the ex- your experiences, the teaching uh, in your life, the upbringing, and the influences in your life. Now, it's interesting, and it's important to realize this, but You'll see the behavior tree. At the top is the behavior. At the bottom are these influences. And then there's, in the middle, the attitude, opinion, and feelings. So the, what you allow into your life ultimately affects your attitude, opinion, and feelings, which affects your behavior. And so people wonder, well, why in the world do I act the way I do? What's, uh, you know, I, I've got these issues. I'm struggling with sin. I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that. I get that. Out of the five that you see below, environment, experiences, teaching, upbringing, and influences, two of them are things you cannot change. Two of them are things that just no matter what you do, you're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have to face them. You're going to have to handle them biblically. You're going to notice the experiences that you've had. You can't change the experiences that you've had. You just can't. They're already in the past. They've already taken place. You're going to have to deal with those biblically and scripturally. If that means that you have to forgive somebody, you better forgive them. If that means you have to put it behind you, you better put it behind you. As a Christian, you're a new creature in Christ, so don't give me the stuff that, well, that's just what happened to me. I can't deal with it. You can deal with it, and if you don't, it's because you choose not to. Also, you'll notice something else. You'll notice this upbringing. You can't change how you were brought up. You can't change if you had a bad mom or a bad dad. You can't change if your dad walked out on your family. You can't change if your mom took off and left for another guy. You can't change nothing that happened to you and your family. Let me tell you something. You can continue to use those things as excuses, but it will do nothing but cripple you, and it will cripple your children, and it will cripple your future. You know what? We're living in a day and age where we're going to always go back to our past and want to blame somebody or something for the way we are. But I'm telling you, you can't do it. As a Christian, you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and your past is as dead as you're supposed to be. Do you hear what I said? Your past is as dead as you're supposed to be. You and I are supposed to die daily. And the fact is, is that we cannot allow our experiences, nor can we allow our upbringing, to continue to affect our daily walk today as believers. We've got to put that behind us, and we've got to move forward. Now, the things that we can control, we noticed here, are things like our environment. You want to change your behavior, you want to change your attitude, your outlook, and your, your perspective and feelings? Well, then start changing your environment. Don't expose yourself to the wrong places, the wrong people, the wrong time. Your teaching. Don't allow yourself to listen to and be influenced by the wrong kind of teaching or the wrong kind of influences in your life. Don't, and then we have the just bottom line influences here. We have things like television and music and friends and all of those things. Those are all things that we control now that we're born again. Nobody makes you uh, have a certain friend. You say, well, my friend always brings me down. I don't know why you call him a friend then. And furthermore, I don't know why you keep him around. You better get rid of him then. Because the bottom line is, is that if it's not going to cause you to be productive and more, uh, a better Christian, more Christ-like, then let me tell you something. You need to get rid of him. You need to move on. It's time to grow up and be a man or be a woman. Quit playing little kid games and allowing them to influence you when they're not supposed to. Preacher, you're really loving this, aren't you? You're having on fire tonight. I, I'm just, you know what? I'm just, uh, I'm just really burdened because I'm watching a generation of Christians continue to fall into the trap of the world, the blame game. And I'm telling you, we can affect, that we, there's no reason why our past has to continue to wreck and ruin our lives. 
there, there are people in our church, older adults, who have gone through things you can't even imagine, and they did not allow to wreck and ruin their present and their future. And I'll tell you what, you might be wise to get a hold of some of them older ones that you think are archaic and don't know anything, and ask them what they endured and what they dealt with in their past and how they had to put up with things in their home life growing up and recognize and realize that they had it just as bad or worse than you've ever had it, and yet they allowed Jesus Christ to be real in their life and give them victory. Thank you, preacher. We love you for that one. Philippians 1.6, being confident it's the very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. And so what we recognize is that he began a work in our life. And as a Christian, we got to keep that in mind. And again, if we're going to realize that you become who you follow, you're going to have to be careful who you follow then, and so am I. we got to take steps to make sure that we're in the, in the right vein, so to speak, going the right direction, accomplishing and doing the right things. And so we said that's important. And then finally, we said no one becomes all that God would have them to be the very moment they're saved. Because becoming is a process that takes time. It's, a, it's only begun. It's a process. If you expect to get saved and automatically be a, 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 a super Christian, you, you got the wrong idea. If you're into this thing a few years and you still think somehow, I don't understand what in the world's going on, my friend, it's called a process. And if you've been a Christian for 20 years and you think you've arrived, my friend, you have lost and forgot about what the real Christian life's all about because it's still a process and it's becoming. And if you, until you are exactly like Jesus Christ, you have not arrived yet. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. All right? Now, again, I, I understand. I'm just saying becoming is a process that takes time. Yes, you need to be hard on yourself, harder than other people are. This idea that, you know, he is too hard on himself. You know, usually it's the other way around. Usually, you know, we're not hard enough on ourselves. You know, we accept too much. Our expectations level for ourselves too low. Well, you know, I'm really tearing it up on my Bible reading. I spend at least two, three, four, five minutes a day on it. I mean, that's about the mentality we have today. Well, I pray every day, preacher. I mean, man, I'll tell you what, it's tough squeezing that in in my busy schedule. Really, you're praying, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I do it as soon as I get up for at least five minutes, and then on the way to work, I pray while I'm driving down the road. Well, isn't that wonderful? I'm sure he's got your full attention. I'm just saying, I mean, we really think that that's what God intended for us? I mean, that, that, that's what, can you imagine if that's what you said? Well, honey, I, I got five minutes for you today, and, and I'll think about you when I'm driving to work. You think that'd be enough for your wife? You think that'd be enough for your husband? Absolutely not. Our expectation levels are too low when it comes to our Christian life. So, there we have it. All right, that's the introduction. And then last week, uh, the, the, the week after that, a couple weeks ago, we started talking about these influences. And, and we said, how important is it that we have the right influences? And we used an example of uh, little Randy who used to get great grades and all of a sudden now, man, he's back at school and his grades are falling and life's falling apart in his life. And we said, you know what's probably the problem? He's got a new friend in his life. And unfortunately, that friend's leading him astray or that friend's causing him to go another direction. Again, it's so important to recognize and realize all the time we become who we follow. And so we talked about uh, this particular situation in the Bible, Amnon had a friend, and we addressed that issue. We looked at it, we considered it, and ultimately we ended uh, basically last week dealing with that issue. Now, or two weeks ago, excuse me. Today I want to continue now in our series, and I want to switch uh, from this idea of role models to the master himself. And I want to start with the master. 
So what I want you to do is take your Bible and look over at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It's a, a, a powerful passage. And again, we're talking about you become who you follow. And in this particular passage, we're going to note that Jesus is someone we ought to be following. Notice what the Bible says. It says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So we're going to try to define what his steps are here. We're going to try to identify what that means. Now again, the context of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 uh, uh, excuse me, chap- verse 21, right on to the end of the chapter, is really kind of identified right there in the first couple verses before it. In verse 19, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well, and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Okay, so what we're dealing with is suffering here then. We're dealing with suffering and dealing with it properly. And so as believers, he goes on then and says, For even hereunto were ye called. Hmm. Called to what? Suffering. Listen, if you think the Christian life is going to be without suffering, you you do not understand what the Word of God teaches. The Christian life is about suffering. And it's not just about physically suffering. It's about emotionally suffering. It's about spiritually suffering. I'm talking about being burdened about the needs of others and the the hurts of others. I'm talking about putting ourselves out there and sacrificing our own personal comforts so that other people can find Jesus Christ. There's always elements of suffering in the Christian life. It, It costs something to serve the Lord. It demands sacrifice to serve the Lord. And in this case, he's talking about suffering. And again, you become who you follow. And it's not a popular message, you know, suffering. That's not something we want to hear about, especially in America. But it is a reality in the Bible. If you notice most of the early Christians, they all suffered. It's an amazing thing how powerful the church was or how much power the church had. I think that it correlates to the fact that they suffered so much and they were so dependent upon Jesus Christ. I think the more comfortable we get as Christians, the less dependent we are upon him. I think the more capable and able we are to provide for our own needs through our own efforts, the less we need Christ to provide for us supernaturally. And so as a result of that, we find ourselves in a real fix. We want the power of God, but we don't want the God of the power. We don't need him. We're doing okay on our own. It's not until we find out one of our children has a horrible disease or has been in a horrible accident that we find ourselves really begging God and really finding ourselves on our knees and, and, and really trusting God. You've got to do something. You've got to do something. May I say sometimes it's too late by then? Somebody says, ah, no, that's not the case. Well, you look at the Bible. You check it out. We'll talk about it Sunday a little bit. Who gets their prayers answered? We'll talk about that Sunday morning. Who gets their prayers answered? But I want you to notice here in 1 Peter chapter 2 again, 
we're going to notice this whole passage. I'm going to look at it because in order to understand what or define, excuse me, define his steps, we need to continue to read down the passage just a little bit. He says that we should follow his steps. He's left us an example, yes, but how? What does that really mean? Well, first of all, we learned that to follow his steps is to follow in submission. That's the real bottom line, the follow in submission. Now, I mean, the Bible says the Lord himself, uh, well, actually, Peter used the Lord himself as, a, as the prime example or the supreme example. And, and he said we're admonished to follow in his steps. Well, Peter had the advantage over Paul in one respect that he had traveled with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years. Remember, he spent day in and day out, night in and night out with the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the opportunity to get really close to him every day of his life. And, and Paul, on the other hand, really did not uh, meet the Lord Jesus Christ till after the resurrection and the ascension. And that's, to our knowledge, that's the first time he met him. So Peter had a real good working knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he was and who he was. Now, the Bible says that Christ suffered for us. That's what it says there. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Now, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? Christ suffered for us. That's an amazing statement. Think about that statement. God the Son was living in perfect harmony with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit up in heaven. I mean, imaginable, in unimaginable glory. Think about that. I mean, angelic host waiting on him hand and foot an amazing environment, a perfect situation, and there he was being lavished with all kind of honor and glory. He was uncreated. He was self-existent. He was co-eternal, co-equal, and co-existent with the Father and with the Spirit. I mean, his wisdom was infinite. His love was fathomless. His power without measure. And yet, the Bible says, he suffered for us. That's an amazing thing. Now, he made all things. According to John chapter 1, we note that the Lord Jesus Christ made all things. That means he created the universe. He created the universe with the galaxies, with their billions of stars and, amongst, and, and, and all those celestial bodies that float around in, in the universe. He, he, he turned to planet Earth and he, he saw that little blue sphere in the Milky Way galaxy and said, you know what, that's where I'm going to plant mankind. That's where I'm going to put man. And life sprang forth at his command. And man was then created. I mean, this is the one that suffered for you. And this is the one that suffered for me. Why did he do that? Well, because sin raised its ugly head in the universe. And before long, it found its way down to the earth. And there Adam fell. Sin entered and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Now the creator, sadly enough, must become Christ. The Lord Jesus. He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He was the Lord's anointed. He was prophet, priest, and king. And book after book in the word of God continued to speak about him. Every book of the Bible, as you dig into it for the most part, you're going to find Christ in that book if you look deep enough and hard enough. He stood apart from all others. He was robed in majesty. And although he was altogether lovely... He's the one who suffered for us. Christ also suffered for us, says Peter. And you know, the interesting thing is, again, is that Peter saw it happen right before his very eyes. He was an eyewitness to much of it. 
I mean, he saw it firsthand. Jesus grew up, of course. He began his ministry. And Peter, at this point, would begin to watch him and observe him and see all that he did. He suffered at the hands of the people that he had even come to save. He knew loneliness. He understood rejection. He experienced hatred. His family, they disbelieved his claims. They didn't believe he was who he claimed to be. His disciples let him down. Peter even denied him and then would even go on and curse. Judas sold him for a pocket full of change. He wept. He wept his heart out in Gethsemane. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was abused by his own people. Then he finally was mocked, scourged, and crucified by the soldiers of Rome. He endured the torments of death on the cross. Finally, he made sin for us, was made sin for us, and literally God the Father turned his back on him and abandoned him. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, says Peter, that you should follow his steps. I think about that word example, and I can't help but think about uh, when I was a boy in school and uh, they were trying to teach us how to write. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up learning to write with the alphabet, you know, A, B, C, D, and all of that, many times the teacher would be up there at the front of the class on a chalkboard or something, and we didn't have whiteboards then, we had chalkboards, and, and they would write the letter out, and then you would look at it, and you might try to write the same letter. But then we also had these little writing books or I don't know what you call them, but they actually had the letters written in them. And you would take your pencil and you would trace over those letters. The A, 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 A. And then you'd say, hey, that's the Fonz. A. But anyway, so you do A's and then you do B and C. And then pretty soon after you traced all those letters over and over and over, you'd go beside it and there'd be an open space. You'd write the C or you'd write the A and the A and the A again. You'd keep practicing that that particular letter or vowel and you'd practice it over and over and over and over and over. An example, see? You had the example, and you just traced over the example. You followed the example until finally you practiced it so many times that you started getting it right, and you get it better and better and better and better. Following Christ, like learning to write, came easier with practice. you got to keep at it. See, the art of suffering and sacrificing is only perfected by following His example. And the Bible tells us that, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Again, Peter had studied the life of Christ firsthand. And Christ was sinless. But, you know, Peter wasn't the only one who noted the sinless nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know who else did? Think about it. Pilate. Pilate had announced to the Jews, he said, you know what? I find in him no fault at all. That was coming from Pilate. Not only that, but the dying thief, he he also said, you know, this man hath done nothing amiss. Christ's enemies, 
Think about it toward the end of his life and toward that mock trial. They searched every nook and cranny of his life. They looked for anything and, or any, anything they could possibly find to use against him. Guess what they didn't find? Anything to use against him. So what did they do? Huh. Because he was so free from sin and guilt, in the end they hired false witnesses to obtain a guilty verdict. The passage tells us, neither was guile found in his mouth. I mean, he did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. The Lord's words were pure and they were unadulterated. They were free from craft or deceit or subtlety. That's the complete opposite of Satan, really, because, you know, the Bible tells us over in the book of Genesis that Satan was the most subtle of all. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, he wasn't subtle in the least in that regard. Total perfection. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. His walk and his talk were without the slightest flaw. I don't care whether you talk about as a youngster or not. Now, I know that him that to do with good and, and to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And some would say, well, did Jesus ever sin as a child? No, I don't believe he ever did sin. Someone says, did he ever do anything wrong? No, I don't believe he ever did anything wrong. I don't. Now, again, I've got my own little theories on some things, but I know that him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, I don't know what cognitive or how cognitive Jesus was of what was going on around him as a child, but what I do know is that he was born of a virgin. And I do know that he didn't have the, the sin nature as we have it. Although he could be tempted and he had the flesh, and he could have certainly, like Adam, chosen to rebel against God in that regard. But Jesus Christ was perfect and sinless. Someone says, well, if he's God, then he can't sin because anything he would do would, would uh, be right. So even if, he, even if he did something the Bible says was wrong, it would be right because he's God and he can do whatever he wants. I think he's bound by his own law. We know that when he came to earth, he said he was. He came to fulfill the law. That means he kept the law. Total perfection. You know, there's not, that statement can't be made of any other in the world. It just can't be made. You know, the world's greatest religious leaders, men like Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad, they were sinners. They might have taught some truth, but they were all sinful men like all the rest of us. As a matter of fact, the great heroes of the Jewish faith, think about it, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Think about David, Isaac, uh, Isaiah, and even Daniel. They, they were all sinful men. Jesus alone was without sin. Jesus alone was total perfection. He goes on to say, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Now, Peter doesn't just remember that Jesus Christ is total perfection. But he also goes on to talk about his amazing um, constraint, if you will. We might say restraint, but constraint. I mean, Jesus Christ. In other words, even when he faced the mock trial, you know, those false judges, those lying witnesses, that biased jury that sat in, 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 in uh, uh, judgment of him, you know, he didn't take the law into his own hands. He could have done that. But he didn't. He showed marvelous and unbelievable constraint. Remember what happened in Gethsemane? Think about what transpired there. Judas comes showing up with this mob, right? 
And here they are armed with swords and clubs and they're backed by a company of Roman troops. Peter, he's ready to go, right? Somewhere along the line, he picked up a sword and now he has it and he wields that sword and he cuts the ear of Malchus off. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say? Well, Jesus Christ, he rebukes him and he says, put again, put up again thy sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then shall the scripture be fulfilled? Peter, I don't need your sword. When it's all said and done, Peter, I could call 12 legions of angels. If I chose to do so, I could do that. A legion in the Roman army was 6,000 soldiers. Think about that for just a moment. 12 legions then would be 6 times 12. I would ask you to multiply that, but I'm afraid of the answers I might get. (laughs) 72,000, right? I hope that's right. 72,000 angels at his command. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. In one night, an angel slew all the firstborn of Egypt. In one night, an angel slew 185,000 of Sennacherib's army. You think about that. And he had 72,000 angels at his disposal. He could have called Armageddon in right now. But you know what? Jesus didn't. He didn't do that. See, the amazing thing about our Lord is not the miracles that he did perform so much as it... What ought to really amaze us, I guess, are the miracles he did not perform. To have such power, I mean, to have such ability to be able to call 72,000 angels that in and of themselves could have wiped out the whole Roman army. To be able to create the galaxies. To be able to detonate the universe at any moment at his whim. To have that kind of power and not use it. Now that's the amazing thing. That's amazing, isn't it? Can you imagine if you have that power and I had that power? How would we use it? Goes on to say, when he suffered, he threatened not. When he suffered, he threatened not. You know, the Lord Jesus never threatened revenge. You know, during the course of the trial... Caiaphas, one of the members of the temple, uh, 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 during that trial with Caiaphas, one of the uh, uh, members of the temple guards struck him. They they, they smote him on uh, with the palm of their hand. You know, Jesus responded. He said, "If I have spoken evil, bear witness to the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me?" Can you imagine that? He didn't threaten the guy. He didn't say, "Well, one day, or you'll see." No, he just took it. And not only that, it's interesting, not only did he just take it, but he died for that man. After Pilate had scourged him and turned him over to the troops to be mocked before continuing the interrogation, Jesus just simply held his peace. He wouldn't speak. He gave him no answer to his question. Pilate pressured him. He said, speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? 
Jesus said, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. He didn't make any revenges, though, or threats of revenge. He didn't do that. See, the reason is, is because the whole matter was in a higher court, in higher hands. See, the Bible says here in this passage that he had already committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He's not going to get a fair trial down here on earth. He knew that. There's no way that that Hebrew court was going to give him a fair trial. No way that the heathen court would do the same. However, there was a higher court. They could accuse him. They could condemn him. They could even crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. But the outcome was already in higher hands. This is the example that Jesus has given us. See, these are the steps that he's taken and intends that we follow. Steps of submission. Steps of sacrifice. Steps of suffering. Steps of service. Steps of surrender. Those are the steps that he's talking about. And when we start talking about following someone, there is no better person to follow than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact is, is that it is not comfortable at times to follow him in our own strength especially. The truth is I'd much rather follow somebody that takes vengeance on those who harm or hurt them. Because that in my flesh is the way to handle every problem. Turn the other cheek, you're crazy. You hit me, I hit you. You say something nasty about me, I'll say something nasty about you. You don't want to play my game the way I want to play it, then I will have no use for you. And may I say that Jesus Christ did not respond that way in life. When the Bible tells us here in the passage, it says over here in 1 Peter chapter 2, For even thereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Ye should follow his steps. Follow what steps? Who did no sin. There's a good step. That'd solve a lot of our problems, wouldn't it? When we'd get rid of all the consequences of sin because we just weren't committing them anymore. Neither was guile found in his mouth. We'd start to watch how we speak and we'd be careful what we say. Who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. We'd be willing to be defrauded. We'd be willing to take it on the chin. We wouldn't always expect others to cater to us. Instead, we'd be there to cater to them. When he suffered, he threatened not. He'd take it patiently. We'd go ahead just like Christ and say, you know what? That's fine. Because ultimately, in the end, as it says here for Jesus, we'd commit ourselves to him that judgeth righteously. We'd say, you know what? Lord, I'm in your hands. You do with me as you please. It's up to you. I'm trusting you with this situation. I'm not taking matters into my own hands. I'm not going to judge others. I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to take vengeance. I'm simply going to trust you and lean on you and give to you everything you deserve. Boy, I'll tell you, that's the steps we're talking about. My question, who are you following? Who am I following? See, the Lord is our greatest example. He's the example by which all others are to be compared. The next time you and I catch ourselves comparing ourselves with one another, Let's remember, they're not the standard. I'm doing fine. At least I don't act like that. 
too late. No, God says Jesus is the standard. How you measure up to him. And you know, the men who followed Jesus, he said, come ye after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. The men followed Jesus. Those men that he talked about did follow him. And the fact is, they did become fishers of men. We don't have time to look at it, but we can look at Scripture to prove it. And let me just say this. If we're not taking on these characteristics and we're not stepping like he stepped, it is proof positive that we are not walking in his footsteps. We're not close enough. I'm not saying we're not trying. I'm saying that we're not close enough yet. We are always going to have to work at this in our flesh. Remember, he began a good work in you and will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. It's only begun. We, we, we're going to find that we just haven't arrived yet. And we'll look at some of that a little bit later in our series. So, these men became as they followed in his steps. They walked and they talked with the Lord, and they become fishers of men. They became exactly what he was. You know what? We need to walk and talk with him. And in doing so, we will become like him. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us. And uh, Lord, thank you for the simplicity of your word. May you, Father, be glorified in it all. Now, Lord, against thee and thee only have we sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Help us, Lord, to confess our sins and forsake them so that we, Father, might please you with our life. And in pleasing you, Father, you'll be able to bless us, not only with answered prayer, but with just many blessings upon blessing. Thank you again for the opportunity, the privilege of being having you, you the Lord Jesus, as our example. Thank you for allowing you, you, the Lord Jesus, to live in us. What a blessing it is to have him indwelling us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now may we walk according to the word and according to his example. Lord, bless us and help us. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. You come if the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to you.